Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Charter School Connection podcast. My name is Jared Bertaldo, and we have a very special guest uh, here with us today, uh, Miss Bethany Bethany Chaffin. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, uh, it's nice to meet you. And we were chatting a little bit and uh, learning a little bit more about uh, your guys's your guys's uh, school or education center. How how would you describe Willow Tree? So we are an enrichment center, which means that we are a little bit of a hybrid where in the first three years of our, we started in July of 2015. And so we actually started as an independent study charter. And um, from there, we merged and decided, we petitioned all of our families and decided that we wanted to be enrichment center, which allows our families who want to file their own private school affidavit to attend our program and just pay out of pocket. And then we also have families who are enrolled in other independent study charters who are able to attend and they um, receive enrichment funds in order to take classes at our program. So it works out well, it's best of both worlds. Um, basically, you know, just to give you a little bit of background of where they came from and who I am. I was a public school teacher for 16 years and I had the honor of being one of San Diego County's teachers of the year. And during that time, I um, had the opportunity to see and learn a lot about a lot of the different options that were out there. I have my administrative credential. And so after getting to see what's happening and being part of the public school union and being really involved with all of there was in public school, I decided that there were kid options that kids needed to have that were not being offered in a traditional kind of public school. And so um, that's why we started the charter and found that, again, there was just a lot of bureaucratic things that were happening as well. And so that's basically why we transitioned into an enrichment center. And that's what we've been doing for the past five years. Hope that answered your question. <laughs> yeah, that does. Uh, sounds like you guys have uh, been through a lot and have done a lot. And yeah. students seem to be uh, a very a, a focal point for you for your guys's and your your center huh very much so it's finding that not every child fits within a box and so by giving families choices for what best suits their children's needs is what is honestly the best thing for kids um so with the transition i am curious did it did it take very long to go from the charter school to the enrichment center did you guys was it mostly paperwork or did you have to change anything about about a building you were using or so a lot of the transition actually happened in october of 2016 when there was the new law that was passed where you couldn't be housed within a neighboring district and so we were chartered with one school district and our building was located in an adjacent district, which was fine up until October of 2016 when that law passed here in California. And um, we could not find a building located within the, the small confines of that little district that had chartered us. And so we decided to start to look at property. We started to do outdoor school. We started to look at a lot of those different options. So that way we could continue to meet with our students and do all of that. But with all of the bureaucratic things that were happening, it was just much easier to be able to step out of that charter world and be able to step here into the enrichment center world. So that way we could continue to operate within a location and 
still have rooms. We did outdoor school for a year and that was fun and exciting and wonderful in many ways, but also, you know, got a little bit of PTSD from checking the weather every day and <laughs> having yeah. to, okay, we're transitioning to the library. We're going here, we're doing this and trying to do that with 140 students is yeah, a, quite a fun, exciting adventure. Um, and so we had already, I'd already started Friends of Willow Tree as a nonprofit in 2015. And so when we became a charter, we actually had an MOU that we filed with the school district that said that Friends of Willow Tree was a separate entity. And so we had our own bank accounts. I ran all the websites. I did all of that on the back, you know, and filed our 990s, ran all of that as a a nonprofit. And so when we ended our MOU as a charter school with the, the school district, what we ended up doing was just transferring it to just becoming and changing a few things in our bylaws and different things just to become an enrichment center. So that way we could still operate that way and still be able to meet the needs of families and do all of that. So it was paperwork. I don't know if any of your listeners have ever filed the 1023 or gone through all of that fun stuff but it's, it is a load of paperwork, but it's definitely doable. Well, yeah, it sounds like you were doing a lot of, of that work. It's <laughs> uh, pretty, pretty central to your guys' center. Um, yeah. What would you say your current role is at your guys' uh, center? So I, I wear a couple different hats. I am, for some people, they call me the head of school or I'm the executive director and the CEO, however you want to label that. Um, the students just call me Miss Bethany and I am basically the director of the program. So I run the business. So I see the day-to-day -day kind of overall seeing the operations. I sit on the board and so I'm part of that. So we do still have a board of directors since we are a nonprofit. So we do receive guidance and I have a whole team that I work with on all of that. But my favorite part of my job is I get to greet the kids every morning and give them hugs or handshakes or fist bumps. and. If kiddos are having problems, then I get to, you know, take them for walks and chat with them and meet with parents and really do that nitty gritty and really doing the, yeah, what takes it to run the school, the behind the scenes kind of stuff. Right. Uh, being able to connect with students is very important uh, for teachers. Yeah. I, I went to a, uh, a charter school, a K through 12 school myself, and oh. I really, I really enjoyed having a good ratio of students students to teachers, smaller class sizes. Yes. Just just makes it a little bit easier. Um, oh, very much so. Yeah. You guys had mentioned that your student body is about 140 students, right? That's when we were a charter school. Right now I have us capped at we're a 16 to 1. And so we have about 120 kids, and that's about our capacity at the location that we're in right now because the class sizes are, we try to keep them as small as possible and wanting to keep that intimate feel is really important. Yeah, um, so 16 to one, how many, how many teachers do you guys have then? So we have a total of nine, uh, or I guess right now we have eight fully credentialed teachers. Um, they either are California credentialed or they have their Waldorf credential as well, since we are a Waldorf inspired program. And then we, the only reason that we have eight instead of nine is because our seventh and eighth grade are combined. We don't, the facility that we're renting rooms from right now, they don't have enough rooms for us to have nine classrooms. And so we combined our seventh and eighth to create that middle school. So we're pretty selective about the kids that we have 
that go into that program. And so a lot of our like intents to returns for our current families where it's a, if you don't get your it's first come first serve for our middle school, since we really wanna make sure we keep that ratio low and have that intimate feel with the kids. Okay. So eighth grade, is that the highest uh, grade that you guys have? That is, yes. Gotcha. Yep. That way we still are, we have a buddy system where our kindergartners are buddies with our eighth graders. And so it's adorable because then it really helps the eighth graders, you know, the seventh and eighth graders with their empathy and being able to be there for those little ones. But that is as high as they will, this program will go under my uh, overarching C because high school is its own, oh yeah, its own it's thing. Own, it's own <laughs> yeah. realm, I guess. Exactly. I always say somebody else can take that on, <laughs> not me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny how um, breaking up, breaking up like kids in the age groups make it really does change like as soon as they get into teenage years and moving up in different kinds of um, educational levels, I guess. Um, so. so have you guys tried to grow or have you guys grown your center ever since you transitioned? So our what we're in the process of doing right now is we do have a benefactor who purchased 14 acres of land for us. And so we are going through the process of getting a major use permit. And I like to call it the major pain permit because it's this whole process of having to get um, studies done on the land. So like we have to have, it's called the CEQA, so the California Environmental Quality Act, where they have to look at the land, have, um, we've had, uh, you know, chiefs from nearby reservations come and make sure that there aren't any artifacts on the land. Uh, we've done soil boring, traffic studies, water, rain, uh, stormwater management. So looking at all of these studies to make sure we can build on the land. Once we have that permit, um, then we're planning on building a center. So we have the funding already in place for that. And then our goal is once we can build, we will reach a capacity of 216. So that way we will always stay small. Um, that gives us, I mean, our goal is to always keep with this 16 to one ratio, but that gives us flexibility where if we needed to, we could go up to 24 students in a classroom, but never exceeding that 216 number. So that way I love the fact that I know every kid's name. I know all the families, I know all the parents. And so from coming from public schools where there were like 800 kids and you'd be on recess duty and be like, you in the red shirts, like there's no other, you don't know everyone. There's not really possible to do that. So I love having it small and keeping it small. So that is our dream. And that's our goal is that in the next few years, we'll be able to build and have our, our own home, our forever home. Yeah, forever home. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, having having good communication and relationships with the kids and the parents, uh, that seems like a very uh, important part of your guys's program. Is that something? So. Yeah. Is that something that all, all your other teachers and faculty share as well? Very much so. And that's part of we operate a program that is only Monday through Thursday. So that way on Fridays, it gives our teachers the chance to one, do the paperwork and planning that always is necessary for teachers that, you know, as a teacher, I used to always complain that I would never have enough time. Like my weekends were always filled with planning and reaching out to parents. But 
by having this day each week that's set aside solely for that purpose of communicating with parents, of meeting with parents and students if necessary, if um, creating a beautiful newsletter with a plan outlined for the whole next week so that way the parents know what's happening within the classroom. So that is the standard that I hold to all of my students or all of my teachers so that way they can best meet their students' needs. And then it's also opens me up to be able to have meetings that day with parents and um, current parents and prospective families and being able to really make sure that I am accessible. So that way I'm not just, you know, doing all the background work. It's more of just making sure that they know who I am and that I'm there to meet their needs yeah. and listen to them. So transparency, communication, uh, like frequent interactions. Very yeah, those, much so. Those sound like, yeah. yeah, those sound like really good ways to keep everything integrated. Um, yeah. So besides the teachers, what other what other faculty do you have? Do you have like an assistant or anybody else that kind of helps you with all of this paperwork? Because it seems like you guys have done quite, <laughs> a, bit, quite a lot of it. So I have, um, I have two front desk receptionists. So I have one that's there in the morning and one that's there in the afternoon. And they help with the, the greeting of parents, the overall, you know, seeing the, the coming and goings of the kids. So we have a lockdown campus so that way they can let people in and let people out and um, also oversee kind of the nursing, the, the slight nursing things that we have to do. So they are very much my, I like to call them my right and left hands, and just in terms of I couldn't meet with students and oversee all of that if that I was also the front desk person. I also have an amazing bookkeeper and who's been with me the past eight years. And she was first my first front desk receptionist, but she also has accounting skills. And so when we transitioned into the enrichment part, she's the one that takes care of all of the invoicing of the families. And she does all the POs and the invoicing of the charter schools and manages all those enrichment funds. And so I truly could not do things without her. She is incredible. Then I have a very supportive board. And so it's nice to be able to sit down and hash things out and look at calendars and just, you know, be able to have people that I talk to. And then I have to say my staff is amazing. So I have my lead teachers and then I also have assistants for each of the classes as well. So it's nice to be able to have all of those. And then um, in the afternoons, I bring in specialty teachers, which are ones that come in that just teach a specialty subject. So for example, like French and Spanish or band or ukulele or violin. So we have all of those that come in as supplemental instructors as well. So I have a big team and I love it. Yeah, sounds like you have not only a big team, but a very capable team as well. Very much so, yes. <laughs> well, that's great. Um, how have you, I guess, worked to, to retain like quality teachers and coworkers? Has that ever been an issue for you or? Not really. So um, I, I go through a pretty, in, pretty intense process to hire people. So it begins always with just kind of a put it out there that we're hiring. And so filter through a lot of the the incoming resumes and different things like that. And they have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with me. Then once they've met with me, then they meet with my panel. And so I have a panel of my teachers because I feel it's important for them to help. If I hire someone, I want it's a colleague that they want to work with. Um, and then from there, then they do demonstration lessons to see how they are with kids. So just a little bit of a process there. And then um, 
in terms of retention, I feel a lot of it is just about communication. So I meet with my teachers, we do biweekly meetings. So I have about a 45 minute to an hour meeting with them every other week. So check in, how are their students progressing? How are their needs being met? We also check in sometimes, you know, people have personal things that are happening as well. And so it's important for me to know about what's happening in their life. So that way I can best support them. Um, and then with my new teachers, I meet with them every week. So that way I can make sure that they are on track for their planning. If they have questions, sometimes they just, yeah, they just need to, okay, I have this parent that I'm trying to figure out, give me some suggestions. Um, I have this student I'm not so sure about. So we also meet once a week um, as a whole staff in terms of we do meetings for child studies where we bring kids that we can all talk about and really kind of hash out solutions together. And so it's nice to be able to bring us all together and to have that, that com those conversations. I feel that that was the most important thing. I know when I was a teacher, I felt like I never got a chance to ever talk to my principal. It was always like they would come in, they'd check in for like two or three minutes in the class, do a little wave and walk through. Whereas I'm also constantly going into my teacher's classrooms. So that way, if I have a parent who brings a concern, I can say, well, when I was in there yesterday, this is what I saw, or this is what I, you know, this is what I'm witnessing and this is how they are. So that way I really have that voice as well. Right. Yeah. Um, these meetings that you do with your with your teachers are most of them one on one. Do you do them yeah. in groups? So the biweekly meetings, those are one on one. So when we have a specialty teacher who is taking their class, then one they come and they meet with me. So they all have different. There's a whole rotation of everything that happens, but they have their set times. So like every other Tuesday at one fifteen, I meet with a specific teacher. So that way it's anticipated and can be planned for and all of that. Um, but it, they are one-on-one. -on -one, so that okay. way they get that individualized attention as well. And um, a few more questions about the teachers. The the specialty yeah. ones, are they, are they, do they regularly return? Do you kind of like cycle yeah. through subjects? Um, so they are booked, we sign a contract for a year. And okay. so what they do is, for example, like our Spanish teacher, she teaches Spanish from our first through our eighth graders. So she's working with all of the kids. And so she has her set schedule and that way times. And that way our families too, who might not come for the core instruction in the morning, if they wanna come just for like the Spanish and the music class on a day, then they're able to come just for those classes as well. And um, they, the specialty teachers, I put through the same kind of hiring process as well, where we do the interviews, the panels, and then they come and they teach a demonstration lesson. And then um, they are at will, uh, contracts and so it's one of those where if I'm not seeing that it's working then we have a discussion and we make adjustments or we go elsewhere so and then some of our um, specialty teachers have you know with COVID there were some switches and some changes that happened but otherwise our staff has been pretty pretty consistent for the past eight years so it's been great yeah yeah that's good <laughs> um yeah unfortunately COVID has you know, made things difficult for pretty much everybody. I don't think. It was it was a fun adventure. <laughs> yeah, it was a fun adventure, and uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of funny how such unexpected things can cause like unexpected hurdles and uh, trials. Um, has there ever been a hard time that you guys have gone through, and like what was it that uh, helped you get get through it as a school? So I honestly I will have to say the pandemic, partly because we are 
a Waldorf program and we have a media policy. And so in pre-COVID, we had always asked families to stay, have their children stay off screens from Sunday night until Thursday afternoon. So no tablets, no computers, no phones, no nothing. Um, then when COVID happened, it was, okay, well, I guess we kind of have to do class on Zoom now. And okay, so your kiddo is going to be in front of a screen now. Um, and so it was a whole shift in, you know, our, we had to take a deep breath and say, okay, well, for right now, this is what it is. And so we had a lot of education for parents just in terms of, you know, being on a screen is not, you know, is there are negative impacts, but sometimes when it is our only option, this is the path that we have to go down. So we are now, since we're, you know, coming out of all of that and no longer offering classes on Zoom and doing all of that, it's retraining some of our parents that have been with us for a long time to go, okay, so remember that whole thing about the media policy? Yeah, we're going back to that. Back to <laughs> so that. no more movies and shows where your kids well, at I mean, there's, there's come beneficial, home and play. <laughs> yeah, there's beneficial and productive screen time, you know, people Great. use screens for work, school, being right. remote. Um, I mean, exactly. we're having this meeting right now over Zoom. Yes. Um, and yes. then, yeah, the, there are sillier ways that we can waste our time with screens for sure. Yeah. And so, so it's a lot of parent education on that too. Like if you're video chatting with, a, you know, your grandparent who lives somewhere, that's fine. It's fine to be on that screen, but we don't want your five-year-old on YouTube for like six hours a day. So yeah, <laughs> there's exactly. finding we, we, now. We all know what kind of rabbit hole the internet can be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> Um, so I do want to touch on, you guys say that you work with charter schools in the area. Um, I'd like to know a little bit more about how exactly do you interact with the other schools? Are they all local? Do you work with any that might be out of state or further or? So not out of state. We have to work with ones that are within California. And ideally, because the way that independent study law works here in California is um, you have to have students within your county. So because of where our location is, we are kind of on the cusp of both San Diego County and Riverside County. And so we have students that are in both of those counties. So we have charters that are chartered within each of those counties. Um, so we basically what we are is we are a vendor for or community partner, as some charters call them, for about eight or nine different charter schools. And so what that means is that when with an independent study charter, you receive enrichment that you have a chance to be able to allocate those funds to spend at a vendor or with a vendor. So people can take horseback riding lessons or ballet or karate or whatever, buy art supplies. Um, but because we are listed as a vendor, it gives families that opportunity to be able to um, allocate their funds to be able to come and attend classes with us. That's our main relationship with them. Um, and, you know, having been part of the charter school world, I know a lot of the executive directors. And so it becomes a conversation too, as laws are always changing within the state for charter schools of, okay, what can we do to make your life simple? Okay, what do you need? So for example, right now, there's a law that says that, or kind of an ed code where it says you can only spend um, enrichment funds for up to 12 hours at like in center. And so we support that and say, okay, our families who are using their investment funds 
we need to be just aware of ed code and what that means and what that looks like so that way we can work hand in hand with all of those charter schools right well knowing the directors i'm sure it comes in comes in it very does. handy um very so, much so when you guys are uh, doing enrollment for your school do you have like you operate off of a waiting list do you get referrals from other charter schools is that where you kind of see a lot of your attendance come from so a lot of what we get is mainly word of mouth right now. So the way that it works is that March 1st, we begin open enrollment. So it actually typically starts in January where all of our current families, they have a chance to intend, they let us know if they're intending to return. And so then that lets us know how many spaces there are within each of the classes for the upcoming year. Then March 1st, we start open enrollment. And so that's when we start taking applications and doing interviews to fill those spots. Um, usually, typically around the end of April, beginning of May, is when we offer those spots to the families, and then families have, you know, a certain number of days that they have in order for us to get their responses and if they want us to hold their spot. Um, we don't have a waiting list. The way that it works is a waiting pool. So instead of working down like, okay, you're number 47 on a list, what we do is we look for relationships. So. When we do the interviews, each of the interviews is about an hour long. That way we get a chance to know who the child is, who the parents are, um, a little bit more about who the family is. And then the teachers are doing the interviews so that way they can make sure that it would be a good match with the rest of the kids within the class. So we're looking for personality and you know we don't want there to be too many of one, you know, we just wanna make sure that the classes are balanced and can meet all of these kids' needs. So that's why we say we have a waiting pool because somebody could have applied, you know, back in October of last year and still are waiting for a spot where somebody just applies right now and they are a perfect match or what exactly they need to balance that spot. So we look for all of those components as well. Obviously being very aware of wanting to make sure that we have somebody within the class and our demographics and making sure that all of that is balanced as well. For sure. I, I really like how you said you use your t-shirt, your, the teachers that actually do the interviews. Um, yeah. They're the ones that are going to understand the classroom the best and know yeah. what's going to help the kids like get along, have a good environment and all of that. So that's uh, a pretty smart way to go about it. And one of the advantages of having smaller classrooms, the teachers can yeah. just be more involved with the students. So that's, that's great. Um, so if you were to have any kind of tips or any advice for someone who wanted to start a charter school, what would you say to them? I would say that they should go and they should visit a number of different charter schools beforehand. So that way they can have an opportunity or like this, listening to different podcasts, listening to different ways that there are, because there are different types of charter schools. So you have your independent study charter schools as well as your dependent charter schools. And so making sure that if you're going to go down that charter school route, that you know the difference between the two, because a lot of it has to do with funding. Um, it's also about developing relationships. As with all things in school, it is about relationships, where if you are interested in starting a charter within a specific district, then visit the schools within the district to go to the board meetings, have conversations, obviously, with the superintendent develop all of those relationships so you really know what you're getting into and you want to make sure that you have all of the support that you need before you even drop that charter petition so that way you know um is this a place that you really do want to work and i mean that 
school board is going to be that, you know, decide your fate every three to five years. They're going to be the ones that decide, okay, I'm going to renew your charter. How are we looking at your test scores? How are we doing all of those little components? So making sure that, you know, before you drop a charter petition that you really know what your a district that you're dropping it to. Get an idea of uh, what you're getting into. Yeah. Yeah, like very much so. So we, keeping all of that in mind, if you were to have gone back in time, is there anything that you would have done differently during your guys' transition? Would you have just started a charter school in the first place? Or I guess stayed as a charter school? Or would you have well, started as your enrichment center in the first place? I, I learned a lot from being part of the charter school. And I learned a lot about the pros and cons. I also feel that I and hold my own now in conversations both with my friends who are still, you know, administrators in public schools, as well as my friends who are, you know, administrators in private schools. And so I know now both sides of the coin where if I hadn't been down that path, then I would have never been able to know all of that. So I wouldn't have ever changed that. I wouldn't go back because it was all just a completely a learning experience. And it gives me more reason for why we are doing the things that we are doing right now. And I'm glad that we made that transition. I know that when we were looking at different options and different things, there was the option to go the private school route and just do that, that whole thing, but it, we didn't wanna make it financially inaccessible for families. Like I still very much have my heart in public education and feel that education should be free. And all families should have access to whatever best meets their kids' needs. And so that was the main reason for not wanting to go down the private school route and wanting to make sure that we kind of walk this this middle line. Yeah. Um, so that was one of the things that I was that I was also wondering about too. Um, you said you guys are partnered with charter schools, and I was curious, like mm -hmm. what why did you pick to stay working with charter schools and not work with private? But it sounds like you kind of like to favor like the accessibility and you kind of like the idea behind charter schools in general. Is that correct? Very, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, I want, yeah. I want parents to be able to have that choice and, you know, regardless of how much they make each month or, you know, how many kids they have. And so I know that there were families, you know, we live in San Diego. And so I know that there are families that send their kids to private school. And I see a lot of the sacrifices that their families have to make in order to, yeah, to keep that going. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's of, of course important to have a variety of different kind of outlets for education, but I do agree with right. you. Having accessible education is extremely important and yeah. very, uh, one of the, one of the biggest roles that charter schools helps, helps to fill. And it sounds mm -hmm. like your guys' enrichment center um, aids that a lot. Um, we're hoping. <laughs> yeah, we're hoping. <laughs> Um, last question, well, not last question, but one thing I was wondering, it kind of goes back to your guys' school. Do you guys like focus on arts? Do you focus on STEM? Is there any particular part of curriculum that you guys uh, have an emphasis in? So the way, the kind of methodology behind Waldorf education is that we educate the head, the heart, and hands. And so um, we try to meet the kids in every type of way that they're a learner. We do focus on the arts. So for example, the children, instead of receiving a textbook, they create their own textbooks. So when wow. they're being taught a lesson, then they create, they put the what they've learned into their own words. And when they're young, it's a fairy tale or something like that. But once they obviously get into like sixth grade, for example, or 
sixth graders are preparing to do physics. And so when they're learning about the different experiments and different, you know, things that they're doing, then they have to be able to put it into their own words. And so it also makes the writing process much more purposeful. So instead of just writing to write, they do still have to do their draft. They have to have it edited until their final copy of what goes into their own textbook. So it's amazing the amount of pride that the kids have in these books and how it's incredible when they have them starting from first grade all the way through upgrade or eighth grade. They have this big, beautiful stack of these books and creations that they've made. And you can really use it as a formative assessment also as a teacher because you can see the growth that they've made and you're able to look at it and say, wow, you know, these kids, this, you know, little one was really struggling in third grade with these, you know, being able to create their sentences or structure or that sort of thing. And now look at them, they're in fifth or sixth grade and look at the progress, excuse me, that they've been able to make. So it's an amazing thing to be able to have them do that. And then of course they illustrate it. And then um, a lot of what we do is also hands-on and kinesthetic. So we do a lot outside. Um, our days for most of the students that do begin outside. And so that way they're using a lot of movement. Um, we do a lot of, you know, in public school, they call it brain breaks, but it's basically a lot of kinesthetic where you follow kind of what they do over in Finland, where you have your lesson, which is you take a child's age and you double it. So for example, like an eight-year-old, their attention span for a lesson should be about 16 to 20 minutes. And so once that is there, then the kids take a break, whether it's um, you know, juggling bean bags or practicing their math skills and moving around, skipping around the classroom, rolling around the classroom, going outside and doing um, you know, running or jumping or doing some kind of other activity. We really try to do a lot of balance with all of that. Yeah, balance is important. And I like how you guys uh, uh, have a strong emphasis on creation, right? Creating so. a textbook is almost like they're making their own like roadmap of where they started, where they are. Yeah. 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 And hands on. Like it's, you know, our teachers are not sage on the stage. They really get, you know, get the kids involved with each other and mm -hmm. each other and group work and doing all that together. It's really, yeah. Yeah. Keep, keep, keeping the students engaged as much as possible. Um, sounds like a very, uh, very useful strategy, one that I'm sure you guys see a lot of results from. Yeah, um, it's incredible. So, you had mentioned in the beginning about how much work that it took with the transition. And one of your tips of advice was to kind of like know what you're getting into, go and visit other schools, be familiar with the district that you're getting in. And so I'd like to know, are there any are there any changes like with government, any kind of state laws that you would like to see that could make it a little easier? Is there anything that you would uh, change for that? So I'm a huge advocate of school choice. And so I know here within California, there's a bill that's trying to get families to be able to get their funds and be able to make their choices. And I am a huge advocate for that because one of the things that I saw from being so involved with public schools is the fact that there is no competition. So a lot of times there's no reason to gain, there's no reason to do anything, whereas if families were given a choice of what school they went to, wanted, you know, could send, send their kiddos to, whether it was a private or a public or a charter, you know, all of the different options, I think that overall that would help improve education because yeah. then 
we could really send our kids where they needed to be. And then we could have specialty schools in a lot of different kinds of ways where, you know, if a child really, you know, excels in coding and wanting to do all of these things computer-based, then they could have a school that they could do all of that. Whereas, you know, you have a child who needs to be outdoors and learning, you know, outside and help with school all day, then you would have that option. For them. Yeah. So kids, I feel kids. that, yeah, school choice is so important. And so I think just in terms of like legislature and stuff like that, I very much for the bills that yeah. that and give the money to people to be able to make their choices for themselves. Yeah, we are. We already talked about how, you know, it's important to have different uh different uh, ways of getting school, but being able to access them and having the choice to choose what's best for your kid is very important. Kids learn in different ways, right? Very much so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can't, they don't all fit in the box. Yeah, they don't all fit in the boxes. <laughs> different size boxes, you know? Yes, yeah. some yeah. are round boxes, yeah. Some are round boxes, <laughs> some are bags, you know? Yeah. Well, no, that's awesome. I think uh, most people and most schools that we have interacted with wouldn't, wouldn't uh, affirm that as well. I certainly believe that that is a, a very important thing to have. Um, so with your guys's programs um, and with your your center, what are there any projects or goals that you're currently engaged in? So the main goal that we're doing right now is trying to build our forever home. Yeah. So that way we can continue to meet kids and be able to serve them without having to worry about combining a class without having to worry about just the, I guess, um, the restrictions that happen when you're renting a facility. Like we can't paint our rooms. We can't, you know, there are certain things. My office is in a shared space, so I have to take it down every weekend. So just those little aspects of things, um, that's our, our biggest project right now. <laughs> adequate, adequate facilities. and. Yeah. Uh, growing to that comfortable balance of no more than 24 kids per class, right? Correct, exactly. But with all the goals, always succeed. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. that, is, that is a wholesome goal. And uh, I, I hope it works out, obviously. And um, um, so that might be the answer to my next question. But if you were given a magic wand, right? And you had one wish and you could make one thing, money's no issue, time's no issue. You could just make one thing happen for your school. Uh, what what would it be? It would be to have our forever home built. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because my staff is incredible. Uh, the families that we have that are part of our you know, facility are amazing. And so it's one of those things where my board is incredible and supportive. They're, Nothing else I would change. I would keep all of that the same and just to have a home. That's beautiful. And such a wholesome answer too. <laughs> yeah. um, so another question, relatively similar. If you guys had your own billboard out in front of your school, what message would you want it to say? Anytime a parent or someone is driving down the road and they see your billboard out in front of your school, what would be... Uh, just a quick phrase that you would want everyone to know. Well, I think it is kind of already our tagline, which is where learning comes naturally, where we are very much about not forcing education into kids. We want it to come to them and we want them to love learning. And so, yeah, I would say where learning comes naturally. <laughs> yeah, 
Well, great. Yeah, I didn't I didn't notice that when I looked up your guys's <laughs> website. That was that was on there. So uh, nice, brief, and sweet and to the point. Thanks. <laughs> keep um, it short and simple. That's how I short, short and simple. Say. Yeah, yeah kiss the, it. Keep it short and simple. Yeah, kiss it short <laughs> and simple. Um. So, is there any other kind of uh, funny story or any other th experience that you've had uh, with your school that you'd like to share with us? When I was going through questions, I was trying to, to ponder this. And I think not really funny stories, but I think that to me, what makes it worth all of the hours, all of the people work, all of that, or when I, you know, get kids hugs in the morning because I know that I'm making a difference to each of them. I know that it's you know, it's like that old, you know, that story with the kid who picks up the, the sea stars on the beach and throws them back into the water. And that is very much the way that I look at things in that it doesn't, you know, yes, this is a lot of work, but it counted for this one and it counts for this one. And so if I can make a difference and my staff can make a difference and we can make a difference in somebody in a kiddo's life and turn it towards a path that's for the better, then everything is worth it. So I don't know, that's not really a funny story or a book, but that is experience, yeah. a thought, just just, just <laughs> yeah. I really like that. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good uh, a good image to have. All right. Um I have a I have a necklace that I wear. One of my teacher friends gave it to me when I started all of this and we had dinner and she said, you know, why are you doing that? And it's like because it matters to each one. And so the next day she brought that little story to me with the necklace. And so <laughs> Great. Well, um, it really has been a pleasure uh, talking with you and getting to know a little bit more about what makes um, your guys's enrichment center so so fulfilling and beneficial to the kids. Uh, you clearly have put a lot of time and passion into it, and it shows. It really does. That means a lot. Appreciate that a lot. All right. Well, no, it's been a, yeah, it's been a pleasure uh, talking with you. And hey, uh, Jared, thank you for your time. Yeah, for sure. And tune in next time, guys, and uh, we will see you then. Bye.